following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. I'm telling you, we have a relationship that you may or may not have known of. We've talked about Harvest Partnership and because of the Harvest Partnership and this connection of like you praying today for Seth, you should really pray for Jackie too. He's a handful, so make sure you always include Jackie in that. But um, we have a long-standing relationship with many here, and some that are more intense and even shorter. We're missing many of the fuselages today. That's because another planter of ours, uh, Mark and Laura Pulliam, had this little three-and-a-half-pound peanut named Casey, and they're over there helping out with Casey uh, as we were praying. She's almost five pounds, and if we can get her blood sugar right, not we, I don't have anything to do with that, but if they can get that going well, uh, we're praying that maybe in another month Casey can go home. So we have a relationship that is built certainly on the gospel of Jesus Christ and being sent in the Harvest Partnership. Uh, we talk about capitals, and one of those is spiritual, so praying for each other as we did today, starting out with the 1002 prayer, which I hope your phone goes off each day. If you haven't said it, do that, and pray for the harvest, both as you are sent here as a part of narrative, but also in the broader sense of this crazy area, oh my gosh, driving through here, there are people who are not connected to Jesus, who is sent to help reach and connect those to Jesus Christ. And just like this area, Houston and beyond, God is doing great things. Relationships, this is part of relationship. We love Ted and Chelsea and Matt, we just love all of them. The Darings have been near and dear to our heart, but more so, it's not just a family gathering, it's the aspect of what we do together. And it's uh, knowing what to do and how to work in a world like this. So we call that intellectual capital because uh, we learn together and we grow together, and you're learning things that come back to the other parts of the Harvest Partnership as you're growing to understand how to reach people. And we learn from others who are doing the same thing. There's a physical aspect, and a lot of times that might be property. In our case, we have an Indian church meeting at Resurrection where I was pastoring. And property is an easy thing to think of, but I also think of this actually as being physical because it's time that we invest time in one another and time in how we work together. And the last one is financial, and we leave it there because money helps, obviously. But God is a God of resources, but we really wanna realize that that is a, uh, it comes from uh, leaning into what God is doing. I also, thinking of family, I have some of my family here today, my parents uh, came down from the Grove, Texas, if you don't know where that's at, Temple Gatesville area. My brother and his wife, I've got my two beautiful nieces, uh, their husband of one and a grandson of my, great, well, great-grandson of my parents, Adam, here too. So we've got a spread of family. My wife sends greetings. She's in Fort Wayne, Indiana today. So why this Bible story? I don't know if my favorite is the right word. I just knew my brother would be here. He's younger. Why not do a, a sermon that depicts the older brother and the younger brother. Plus we have the Daring Boys and so you have the older and younger brother there too. So it's our chance to get off our chest everything we've been thinking for all these years, right? 
It's in a chapter, Luke 15, if you have it open, feel free to go there. It's the end or second greater half of the story, but you know the two ones that come before that. And I think it's important for us to understand kind of the, the basis of what's going on there. And you may remember this, that Jesus is hanging out with a bunch of common people and the church people, known as also oftentimes the Pharisees and the Sadducees, are griping. Why is he spending time with those people? So Jesus launches into three stories of lostness. First, the lost sheep. You know that one probably pretty well, most of you. If you have a familiarity with the Bible, it's the one where Jesus has and talks about the one who has 100 sheep, and he goes off after the one who's lost, right? Then we've got the woman who is in a spring cleaning rage because she lost a coin. And the story makes sense because if it's a day's wages she lost, that's more than just you and I losing a nickel or dime, which doesn't matter in a cashless society anyway. But she gets excited. Here's the weird part. But she finds it and she goes out amongst her neighbors and says, look what I found, look what I found, look what I found. So it seems like what we're getting so far is Jesus saying to these guys, can't you get excited, right? And also, you remember his audience includes these regular folks that the church people called sinners. And they're his audience too. And so this last story really is the cap. It's really the important piece. It's often known as not the lost son, but what's the word we normally use with the youngest son? Prodigal. Why prodigal? What's that mean? You know how? We still use that word, but I don't expect you to know it. What's it usually refer to? For prodigal, huh? It means to be wasteful and extravagant. So we normally talk about this sermon, this son as the wasteful son. Why? And you know the text. So what happens is we have two sons. Again, my favorite little depiction. I can live with that one. I could tell you stories from now till noon, but I won't. It was too perfect anyway. I don't have anything on it. But two sons. And the youngest obviously isn't happy working on the ranch. And he goes to his father and he says, hey, I want my part of my inheritance. Now that's a little bit gutsy, right? Because A, usually inheritance comes when someone dies. So in a way, it's kind of wishing his father dead, right? I don't want to have anything to do with you. So it's one of the first couple of things that indicates that because I want my inheritance. You're dead to me. And then he moves not just a little bit. He doesn't move from here to Wahlberg or here to Temple or here to even Houston. He moves to a far country. Which means not only are you dead to me, but I don't want to ever see you again. So he asks for his inheritance. How does inheritance work normally? What happens if someone is dead and it says here he divided the property? How would that go? How much percentage wise? 50 50? 
That's how we would do it normally. In their culture, and this is really great for the oldest son, Ted, although your parents have spent all your money, so it doesn't matter. But um, the oldest son gets two-thirds. The latter third goes to the rest of the family. In this case, one son, but if there had been four brothers, it would have been split one-third four ways. How you feeling about that? Depends whether you're the older son or not, right? That what they did was gave both the inheritance primarily to the older son, but then also came responsibility because he now becomes the head of the family and responsible for the younger sibling or siblings. So as Jesus is telling this story, I'm telling you, right now, there's the group of the common people who are kind of going, okay, Jesus, where are we going with this? And then there's the church people who are going, yeah. Because Jesus, they, if they could say it in that circle, they'd say, preach it. Because this story is about the ridiculousness of those who aren't like us who are wasting things all over the place and not like the good, may I say, big brother. They love it. It makes great sense to them. And here's the thing is Jesus was the best storyteller of all time, not just because he was God, I suppose, but because he knew how to use story because people could live and understand exactly what he was talking about. It wasn't like here where you tell a story. I, you know, when Jesus tells parables, you, can you imagine they're walking along and there's a farmer going like this, throwing seeds out. And he goes, hey, you know, the kingdom of God is like a farmer. They're watching it happen. This is a laboratory in place. And here, when he's talking about family, which ones of us can't understand how family works, right? Having been a pastor for almost 40 years, what I've seen is families who get along really well when a parent dies and there's money involved, what happens? Families fall apart. What do you mean he gets this or she gets this? I've watched families race to the house to make sure there was a piece of tape on the back of a plate that had their name on it that was hanging on a wall. Mom always said I could have this. Dad promised me the tractor. And here's the other thing going on. In a cash society or where we have 401ks and insurance policies and I go and say I want my part, you can split it out of cash and you go, here you go, I'll write you a check, here's a debit card, here's something. But remember, this guy is a farmer. This bugs me, I always wonder, because this is the part of the story it's not told. He gets a third of what is now owed from his father's whole stuff. What did he do? Did he take a third of them and run to market with them? I don't know. But this was not so, and he certainly didn't take a third of the cows and go, come on, come on, little doggy. He, he didn't rush them down the road. There's a lot more going on here because this was complex. 
as complex as this story is. Now, we know the part in between, right? So he goes off to a far country. However he got his cash, his property, he wasted it, right? Partied hard. Just a little public service announcement to you when you're figuring out your insurance and your um, will. Two wonderful sons here, is that what I've seen? Don't let them have money early. When we set up our will, we indicated that thing would go to our children if we owned anything until the youngest hit 29. Who wants to see an 18 or 20-year-old with a bunch of cash? Parties, it indicates prostitutes. And it's not hard. We see this in our life now, too. People win lotteries, and they run out of money in a year, right? And they're broke. I don't know how long it took him, but he was broke. So much so that he took on a job working in the worst of circumstances that, again, the church people were so excited to hear Jesus coming down on him because he had to go get a job feeding pigs which is like the worst job ever. And they'd have been saying, yeah, he deserved that. He deserved that so much. Preach it. You know, Jesus, you've not been so good so far, but you're doing well today. We like this sermon. This is great. In fact, it got so bad, he couldn't get enough money. Now he's eating pig food. Yeah, way to go, Jesus. I'm wondering what the other common people are thinking because they've been hanging out with Jesus and they're hearing the same words, right? Have you ever been in that movie or that story and you're watching, you're going, man, this is not going well. I don't like how this is happening. I mean, at the end of the first Marvel Endgame, I was just like devastated with what was going on. Would any of you watch that Marvel Universe? Anyway, you know, we needed the second movie to have a win. Here, Jesus is preaching, and this audience includes all those. Oh, and here's who we are. We're listening in. So I'm asking, would ask you, and you can throw it out there if you feel comfortable, who do you feel most connected to? There's four characters, right? There is the youngest son, oldest son, father, and you're thinking, who's the fourth character? The fattened calf. Well, you got to remember the fattened calf. Did you ever have this happen, Ted, in the Sunday school class where you're at doing the story with a bunch of kids? I remember one lady was doing the story and she asked the question toward the end of the class, so who was most disappointed that the youngest son came back home? Well, Johnny raised his hand and he said, well, the fattened calf. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> so if we keep those in mind, you don't have to go with the fattened calf, but which just... Just, you can put it out there. Which person of the other three do you associate best with? Youngest son, oldest son, or father? Oldest son? Father? Youngest son? Who said that? All right. I'm curious, why youngest son?
Okay, so the place in the family. Yeah, I, I find when I, I talk to people elsewhere, the youngest isn't so much because of birth order. Usually it's because we as Christians feel like I was lost and now I'm found, right? Amazing grace. So the, this story is me, right? I'm the youngest son. Jesus loves me. I'm the one that Jesus would go after no matter what with the hundred sheep. I'm the lost coin by which the house would be swept clean because God loves me so much. And is that correct? Absolutely. The problem is that's not the point of the story. It's misnamed. Because there's not one prodigal son at all. There's two. And there's also a prodigal father. Because what we find is, as the story goes along, it's the father who's willing to give it all up. Not just for the youngest son, but also for the oldest. Because when the youngest came, he didn't say, I'll give you your part, and I'll give you your, uh, the other brother his part later. He divided all up at once, right? Here you go. I don't know how old he was, but he's taking a chance on he can have a living and a life despite giving it all up. The older brother seems to take, oh, I don't know. He's bitter. He has this little chip on his shoulder, which I hate to say about any older brother, but I mean, that's where he's at. And he's been staying and working, and we see this develop, don't we, by the end of the story. And this is why I'm picking a story which you went, okay, we've heard this a million times, but let's think about this older brother. He has been working really hard. The younger son said, die, and ran off to a far country. The older son said, I just work for you anyway. I want you to be happy with me and did what he could to prove himself. It's kind of like, and I appreciate it, Ted, what you were saying at the beginning of Confession and Absolution, that we oftentimes take it that if I am good enough, maybe God will love me. Now for the church people of that time, their word at that point was, I got it. I've proven myself. And so they're starting to get ticked because now the younger son is brought back and Jesus has flipped the story. Suddenly these regular people that we despise, Jesus is holding up and saying the Father loves them. His extravagant love is for them. They don't care about where God is with them. They're feeling slighted. We've been working hard. We've been doing the right things. We are the older brother. And the story turns, and now this is where, and I want you to think about this in terms of when we talk about the early prayer at 1002 and God's sending, that this whole chapter is about reminding them of what their original call was to be sent into the world to bring people like those the father because remember who has responsibility for the younger brother now not dad older brother the heart of dad was for both the heart of dad was to be through that older son to his younger brother and that he would be reaching out he would be caring for and you know they it's not like even though he was in a far country they didn't know what was going on with him we have some hints that they knew exactly where he was and exactly what he was doing. 
What's this say in the story? The older son heard that he was back there having a party, and he goes, yeah, he's been wasting his money on parties and prostitutes. That was not a guess. He knew. Now, maybe he sent spies. Maybe the father so much cared about it that he sent people to go find him and see, where are you? And how are you? The father was ready. This prodigal father who's so extravagant with his love, I don't think it was just he happened to walk on the porch that day. I have a feeling he was looking because he knew that his son had driven himself into the ground. He knew that he had no more other options. And he also was on that porch looking because he had an older son who did not have a relationship with the father but was simply out in the field working, trying to prove himself, and the relationship meant nothing. It was only about the goods. This father's heart is breaking because he loves both sons. And yet what he finds is he has neither. But what joy when the younger son, as it said there, comes to himself and says, I'll go back. Now again, interesting interchange because the older son, you can see where he's at because when he finds out there's a party and they've killed my favorite character, the fattened calf, he says to his father, it's on you. Why haven't you cared for me? You haven't even given me a goat. Excuse me, who owns all the goats and all the cattle of that place now? Is it the father? No, the son. And the father even says to him, he says, son, everything I have is yours. The problem is not whether he had a goat or had the thing. It's just he didn't have time for friends. He didn't have time for his father. He wasn't going to celebrate anything because he was too bitter, too much of a chip on his shoulder, and too busy being the good, good older brother. And so I'm telling you, for those of you who did say, I feel like the older son that's the point of this really is the older son. Yes, it's true that Jesus will look for us. It's true that we, and maybe some of you today, are the younger son. But primarily in the church, we are the older brother. God has called and sent us into the world. He has made everything we do, everywhere we work, eat, play, and enjoy a part of his sending. And too often we are so busy proving ourselves that we don't see the people in need around us. So the point was, and it's totally flipped by now, is you church people have missed your calling. You were sent for those people. So let me have a confession with you before I finish up here. Been a pastor for almost 40 years, son of a pastor. We spend a lot of our pastoring life, my wife and I, focusing only on the church because that's what we were called. That's who paid our salary. That's who expected us to be there for them 100% of the time. And it wasn't just their expectation, that was mine. And I thought, well, what I'll do is just make sure to tell you, hey, you have neighbors, right? Why don't you go do it? I'm not, but if you could go do the work that I'm not doing, that would be grand. About 
six, seven years ago we moved. And we moved into a neighborhood that was newer than the one we'd been in. And I guess God had been working in our hearts. People like Ted and Matt and others were utilizing the capitals to tell us and ask us the question. And we've been too much the older brother and spending too much time on proving ourselves in the church versus connecting and being sent to a world that needs Jesus. So we moved into this neighborhood. It was February of uh, 2017. For those of you who aren't in Houston, what happened in August of 2017 was this little hurricane called Harvey, right? We had good intentions of reaching these neighbors. It hadn't happened yet. Still trying to get settled. And then all of a sudden, we had in our house about 38 inches of water. And other houses in our neighborhood had between 18 and 7 feet. What happened there seemed like it was such a tragedy, right? Lost everything we owned, pretty much, except for a couple of things. Threw out wedding pictures, stuff that just soaked. But it really opened our eyes to seeing people, people who were hurting, people who we normally would have waved at and smiled, seen at the mailbox, and we realized that as the older brother, we had spent so much time working in the field of the church, we had lost sight of the people around us. We met people who had gone through horrible things and felt that God had it out for them. I've met a, we have a couple behind us that we're getting together with now. He's a, a French uh, agnostic, and she is a spiritualist who mixed in together a spice of Christianity, a little bit of Hinduism, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and comes up with the craziest thing you've ever heard. They are hard people to hang out with, hard people. And yet we have this friendship developing that's really kind of cool. And after a long time, suddenly, not just she wants to talk to me about all her stuff, but he who never wants to have anything to do with God is starting to ask questions about what is the church? Who is God? I wonder, in our being sent if we're just happy to come here on Sunday morning and see each other and say, isn't this great? We go to Matt's house for free hamburgers. I hear lobsters on the menu too, surprise. Um, and that's what we do, or do we see the people we work with? Do we see the scriptures themselves calling us to have a lens of seeing everything about who we are as being sent? Because that story that day reminded them that. There's a book uh, that's also been pushing my life that my dad wrote here called uh, The Great Sending. I like that title, but I like even more the bottom. Secondary, God's heart for the world beating through you. So I would encourage you as you walk out today, if you go, I got something out of that story I'd never heard, or same old, same old that you do walk out thinking, God, how is your heart beating through me for the world you love? 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, because we are and have been those youngest children, youngest son who has broken away and, and been lost, disconnected. But we also have been those who've been well-connected, feeling really comfortable. And when Jesus speaks today, he begins to edge in us discomfort because we realize, Father, that uh, through your Son, that you, the sending Father, are so prodigal, you're so extravagant, so generous, that you give us all gifts, including forgiveness and life. And you put it into our hands so that we can take that and steward it as your sent ones. May Narrative Church and each person here, may those who are gone this Sunday in various places on their summer break, may, may each of us, wherever we live and eat and work and play, find ourselves to be the sent ones of God. Those who were sent into this world as the brothers and sons of the Heavenly Father who calls us into the greatest life ever, that we can in our own way sacrifice that fattened calf every day to celebrate your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray.